Joseph. Good morning to everybody. How wonderful it is, how blessed we are to be able to be here together this morning to enjoy each other's spiritual strength as we come together to worship God, but to be here just to worship God and give him glory. If you're visiting with us, we appreciate you in an extra special way, and your being here is already a blessing for us, and we pray that it will be a blessing for you as well. If you uh, have any questions about anything you see us do or hear us teach, please ask us. We keep saying we just want to be the church that we all read about in the Bible. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. And if you're in this area, we hope and we pray that you'll come back over and over and over again as you have opportunity. If you're traveling when you're back in this area, come see us again. Kind of make this your spiritual home away from home. We'd appreciate that very much. Trevor Shagda was baptized into Christ last Sunday evening after services or right at the end of services and he and his wife Kelsey want to let the congregation know that they want to place membership and be a part of the congregation and work and worship with us here at Sunny Slope and uh, praise God praise God glory to him and welcome Trevor and uh, Kelsey if you have not already last Sunday morning I presented a lesson and they asked the question, can God save a crook? Well, of course, that's a representative question. Could God save all kinds, all manner of sinful individuals? And of course, we came, <clears throat> we came to the understanding, yes, God can save a crook. Well, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verses 9 and 10. I appreciate Joseph reading that just a moment ago. What does the Apostle Paul say there? He says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Who are the unrighteous? Those who are still in sinfulness in their lives, who have not repented properly and come to God in his way for forgiveness and salvation through Jesus Christ. Repenting of their sins, confessing their faith in him openly and surrendering to him in baptism, at which point the blood that he shed on the cross could cleanse them of the guilt of their sins. Or maybe it's a Christian who has strayed away, he's become unfaithful, he's gone back into sinful practices and has not repented of them and come back to the Lord in repentance and asking God's forgiveness through prayer. Whatever the case, the unrighteous, Paul says, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Then he goes on and he begins something that we might call a representative list of those who are living in unrighteous practices and lifestyles. It's not all inclusive. And Paul lists a number of these in 1 Corinthians, Ephesians, Galatians, but they're all representative. At the end of perhaps the longest list in Galatians chapter 5, he comes to the end and he says, and such like. And so again, it's a representative list. So we need to understand it's not just those particular sinful practices that he enumerates in those various lists of unrighteousness or sinfulness or the ways of the world or the ways of the flesh, but it's anything that would be related to that as far as lifestyle and practices is concerned. So he says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Thieves right there. Can God save a crook? 
Yes, absolutely, because verse 11 goes on and says, and such were some of you. He's writing this to the Christians within the congregation at Corinth. He says, such were some of you. Such? What do you mean, Paul? Some of you were like those I've just laid out in this list. Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covetousness, or covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners, such were some of you. But, and there's that transition word, big word, but you were like that, but you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. You were forgiven. Absolutely, God can save a crook, God can save a murderer, God can save an adulterer if they will come to him for forgiveness through Jesus Christ in God's way. Some of the Christians at Corinth had been those kinds of sinners, including crooks, but they had been justified. They had been forgiven of their sins through the blood of Christ. They had been baptized into him and the blood that he shed on the cross cleansed them of the guilt of their sins. Remember the apostle Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15 said, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief, he says. And we tried to emphasize that point. Paul was a vicious, vile, if we want to think about it as to, from the perspective of his, his emotions, he was hating the Lord's church. And he tried to stamp it out. He hunted down Christians, took them into chains or bonds, and led them back to Jerusalem to stand trial. And on occasion, he voted for their execution just because they were Christians. But he saw the light. He, he came to understand his horrible mistakes in life, and he repented of all of that and was baptized into Christ, became a Christian. But as I said, I've imagined many times how he must have, maybe as he lay on his pillow at night, and the stillness of the evening were settling over him, and he was trying to drop off to sleep, how faces must have come into his mind, how he must have remembered some names, how he must have remembered the tears perhaps of some that he had taken into custody, that he had put on trial, that he had tried to compel to blaspheme the name of Christ, and some of those that he had voted for their execution just because they were Christians. I wonder if when he was writing 1 Timothy 1 and verse 15 when he said, of whom I am chief, those emotions came back and swelled within his heart, and the lump came to his throat, and the tears started coming down his cheeks. Oh my, Paul was an apostle by that time, divinely inspired writer, but he was still human, and he still had those memories, I'm sure. The emotions of humanity were still within him, and I've often wondered if they didn't spill out from time to time. But when Jesus sent Ananias to teach Saul when he had been struck blind on the road to Damascus and been told to go into the city and you will be told what you must do. And he had been fasting and praying, still blind, and then, he, and then Ananias comes to him and says, and I'm sure he had taught him 
the basics of the gospel by that time. And he said, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling in the name of the Lord. If God could forgive Saul of Tarsus after all that he had done to harm and try to destroy the church and try to compel believers in Christ to blaspheme the name of Christ, then God can forgive a crook. God can forgive you and he can forgive me. Jesus in the great invitation in Matthew chapter 11 verses 28 and 29, he said, come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Oh my, the people out there today who need to find rest for their souls. When Jesus was ready to ascend back into heaven, he told the apostles to go into all the world, preach the gospel to all creation. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. He who does not believe shall be condemned. The great invitation to come to Jesus is to everybody, including crooks, including murderers, including whatever the sinful practice or lifestyle an individual might be at that particular time. It's come to me. And the gospel message of forgiveness and salvation is for everybody who will believe and obey. But now here's the next part of the whole thought process. Can God save a crook? Sure. We've proven that. We've seen that amply through the scripture references. But what about the person then who comes along and says, but I'm not a crook. I'm not a bad person. Well, are you a sinner? Are you guilty of sin? You see, the wages of sin, again, is what? Death. Now, God offers you the gift of life through Jesus, eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, Romans 6 and verse 23, but the wages of sin is death. Could you deny that you have been a sinner? Well, if that's undeniable, and it is, then you're still lost in the condemnation of your sin. And your only hope as is the case with a crook or any of those other sinful lifestyles that Paul lays out in the scriptures on a repeated basis. Your only hope is forgiveness and salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. The consequence of sin, again, is death. Going all the way back to the garden, God warned the man and the woman, stay away from sin. He displayed before them, provided before them the tree of life. But he said there's also another tree in this garden. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The Lord commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. That was the tree that would lead them, the fruit of that tree would lead them into sin. It would be a disobedience to God, and disobedience to God is sin. God said the consequence would be you shall surely die. When the devil in the form of the serpent appeared in Genesis chapter 3 to Eve in the garden, and he asked her, has God given you the right to eat of the trees of the garden, of the fruit of the trees of the garden? She responded, and even with some more emphasis than what we read in chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. 
She said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. In other words, stay away from that. That marks disobedience to God. That marks sin and sinfulness. And we might think of a parallel from the Apostle Paul when he said not just to abstain from evil, but he said abstain from the appearance of evil. And so Eve says to the serpent, the, God, the devil in the form of the serpent, oh yeah, we can eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God has told us of this one fruit, of this one tree, you stay away from that. You don't even touch it lest you die. Well, in Genesis chapter 3, beginning with verse 22, we see that when Eve was lured in by the temptation of the devil to partake of the fruit of that tree, and then he worked through her to lure her husband into doing the same, they became sinners, and everything changed at that moment. Everything changed. They changed. They were now sinners in need of forgiveness and redemption. And that warning from God in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die, that happened exactly and began at that point. In verses 22 and 23, the text reads, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put out his hand and take of the, also of the tree of life and eat and live forever, therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. Now when you look in Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 2, God's word says this. And this was a warning to the Israelites at that time, but the principle is, is still valid right now. Your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you. When Adam and Eve sinned, they died spiritually in the sense that they were now sinners separated from God. And that's the spiritual consequence of sin. When God expelled them from the garden, he removed them from access to the tree of life and physical death became a reality. Oh, they would live, Adam would live over 900 years. We're not told how long Eve lived, but they would live for many years thereafter physically, but they were going to die, and that is a result of their sin, a consequence. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, therefore just as through one man, speaking of Adam, sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. And so when we say, well, but I'm not a crook. I'm not an adulterer. I'm not a murderer. Or any other kind of sinful practice that you might name or list. All have sinned. That's the point. All have sinned. And because of sin, death, death has spread to all mankind. Just as surely as we're born into this world physically, unless the Lord comes first, Every single one of us will die physically. 
and all of the consequences of physical death, and we can think of pain and sick, sickness and suffering and, and sorrow and, and all, all, all of the sorrow that might also be experienced by our loved ones around us who care about us and, and, and have a hard time letting us go, that's all ultimately traced back and is a result of sin. Now, that doesn't mean that if we commit a sin, God somehow strikes us down right then. But the fact of physical death is sin. And all of the suffering, you think about all of the terrible afflictions, all of the diseases that result in physical death, all of that, it's all the result of sin. Now, humanity, our culture doesn't like to hear something that to them sounds so trite and trivial, but they need to simply look deeper into the truth of the matter. They need to come back to God's word and study more carefully and thoroughly. Sin is at the root of pain and suffering and sickness and dying. And all of the consequences that, that, that result from all kinds of sinful practices. We think about that shooter. Well, a couple of them in just a couple of weeks now. And it wasn't just those whom they struck dead. And it wasn't just those who survived the bullets. And are now, are now struggling, I'm sure, through pain and suffering toward recovery. But the families, the friends, the trauma of the people around them, the teachers and those who worked with them, all of that affects those people and what was behind what causes them that pain. Sin. Sin. When Adam and Eve sinned, everything changed. And so the Apostle Paul wrote, the wages of sin is death. Spiritual, but also physical. But God offers us the turnaround. There's that big word again, the transition word. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. But we must come to our Lord in the way that he's laid out in the scriptures in order to receive that wonderful blessing. If we die physically while we're still dead spiritually because of sin, we're still living in sin, well then we're facing a more horrible consequence yet. In Revelation 21 and verse eight, the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable murderers, sexually immoral sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, again, simply a representative list of sinful practices and lifestyles. But all of these shall have their part in the lake of, of, fire, of the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And that is illustrative language of eternal condemnation in hell. I, it's difficult for us to wrap our minds around it fully and say, okay, I understand it completely, what that means. But it's not the idea of annihilation. We're dead all of a sudden. We're like Rover. We're dead all over. But what it seems to be, as, I, as, I, as I've contemplated over this and studied it for many years, we're always in that process of dying with ever, without ever reaching the ultimate reality of being dead fully. We're still going through that agony. 
But also, as you look at it in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 9, we're completely separated from the glory and power of God. Outer darkness, as Jesus described it. And that certainly is descriptive of some kind of existence that is completely devoid of God in our presence. How horrible to even contemplate. Now, Romans chapter 3, beginning with verse 9, and I'm not going to read the entire context there. You can read more verses on your own. But beginning with verse 9, Paul asks the question, what then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks, now that would have included all of humanity in that culture of that day, that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous in and of themselves, we are to, we are to understand. No, not one. And then verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Well, then what do we understand again from the sixth chapter of Romans? Same letter, verse 23, the wages of sin is death. But God offers us that gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And this particular instruction or teaching that all are under sin and need forgiveness, it's throughout the scriptures. We can go back to Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 20, for example. For there is not a just man on earth who does good and does not sin. Left on our own, we don't cut it. Galatians chapter 5, or 3 and verse 22, the scripture has confined all under sin, and the pro but, but the, uh, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. See, God doesn't leave us hopeless in sin. He sent his son to that cross. We just commemorated that sacrifice and his death on that cross a few moments ago as we partook of the bread and the blood that represent, that bring to our minds his body broken on that cross, broken into through the nails and the spear and the thorns on his head and that blood shed as a result. God sent him to be that one time for all time perfect sacrifice, Hebrews 7 and verse 27, that we could be forgiven, that we could have eternal life, that we could be able to look forward to, we could be able to look forward to deliverance from this sinful world and be able to walk those golden streets of heaven with our Lord and Savior, our God and Father and the Holy Spirit. Yes, all are under sin, without Christ, outside of Christ. There is none righteous in and of ourselves outside of Christ. But through him we can be counted righteous. But without him, without coming to him, then all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that includes you, even though you might not be a crook. You're deceiving yourself. And so many people are. They think, well, I'm not bad. I've never robbed anybody. I've never stole any old lady's purse. I've never cheated. I've always stayed faithful to my wife or my husband. I paid my taxes. But you still sin. And so you still need forgiveness. In 1 John chapter 1 and verse 8, and John is writing this even to Christians. 
that we need to keep our eyes open, be on guard against the ways of the devil. He says if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And then verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Sin is all around us. If we think that because we're not a crook, we're not someone listed in those representative lists by the Apostle Paul in those various letters that he writes to the churches, that we're okay and that we don't need forgiveness, we're simply deceiving ourselves. How many people, they, they make no effort to worship with the Lord's church. They rarely, if ever, open the Bible, let alone reading anything from it. But they think, well, I'm, I'm good. I'm okay. You need to open the Bible and start reading. We need to help people around us see that they need to come to God his way. And not, it's not just a matter of, I'm not some vile or heinous, wicked, vicious individual. But again, remember, even in that, 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 that verse of scripture from Revelation 21 and verse 8, even liars. Well, it, we might say, well, except little white lies. Those, those must be okay. No, he says all liars. Well, James chapter 4 and verse 17 tells us that when we don't do what we know we should do, that that can be sin. To him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. So it's not just sins of commission, but it's sins of omission as well. Now, if you have not repented, then you need to do that because that precedes God being ready to forgive you. He wants to forgive you. 2 Peter 3 and verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, patient with us for the time, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But note this warning to the tribes of Reuben and Gad by Moses, their leader at that particular time. Moses had led the Israelites to the border of the promised land. They were poised on the eastern bank of the Jordan River, ready to cross and begin conquest of the land. The men from the tribes of Reuben and Gad said, you know, we would like to stay on this side because this ground is good for our flocks and herds. And Moses said, you're going to just leave your brothers to go over there and fight the battles without you? And they said, no, no, no. Let us build some cities, some strongholds, set our families up, and then we will cross over with you and fight the battles with our brethren. And Moses said, okay. But Numbers chapter 32 and verse 23 says, but if you do not do so, then take note, you have sinned against the Lord. And be sure your sin will find you out. That would have been sin of omission. Not doing what they knew they should be doing. And he says, be sure your sin will find you out. Your attitude should not be one of arrogance. Think about the lesson on humility from David as he repented before the Lord. 
Psalm 51, beginning with verse 1. He prayed, have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions, confession of his sin. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge all my transgressions. How many times we try to deny our sinfulness? We can hide it from other people a lot of times, but we can't hide any of that from God. And so David continues and said, my sin is always before me. Calm and peace comes with forgiveness, redemption, salvation through Jesus Christ. Our attitude should not be one of arrogance. It should be one of humble admission to God of the fact that I'm a sinner. I need forgiveness. And the way, the only way to forgiveness and redemption and salvation is through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Acts 2 and verse 38, when the some on Pentecost asked Peter and the rest of the apostles, what shall we do? They'd had the gospel preached to them. Peter responded and said, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, speaking of Jesus as the Savior nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Only through Christ can we come to God for forgiveness and salvation. And so it's no wonder that when Ananias was sent by the Lord himself to Saul of Tarsus, he said, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. In that act of obedience, you'll be calling on the Lord's name. He came as your Savior. God sent him to the cross to bear the guilt of your sins, your sins. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 20, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on behalf, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled, be brought back into a right relationship with God for he made him, that is Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus bore the sins of myself and all of mankind from all time to all time on his physical body as he died on that cross. And he hung there completely sinless, even in human form. And so again, the question, why are you waiting? Arise, be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling in the name of the Lord. Get rid of that load. Get, put down that guilt. Have everything washed away and be reborn spiritually. Will you be baptized into Christ today so that God through him can forgive you of your sins? If you need to study about it, please ask us before you leave today. We'll, we'll make that time. We'll make that way. Do you need the prayers of the church? 
for whatever reason, please step forward and let us know. Or talk with us privately so we can pray with you and for you. But if you need to come, come right now as we stand together and sing.